Alrighty, Bites of Popcorn podcast coming at you with the 2019 film, 1917. That is the year 2019 with the titled film, 1917, released. Uh, a great title for the podcast this week. Um, yeah, uh, we recorded this one on Armistice Day a week and a half ago. And, uh, you know, just as a, really just as a way of having a theme for the, and we both um, had quite an emotional response to this film when we first saw it in cinema and uh, had been talking about doing this one for a while, so... Really enjoyed talking about 1917 as a film that, um, you know, we can talk about our feelings regarding, uh, you know, war itself, but then, um, like, kind of how humans deal with it and how film represents that, um, you know, especially a film that like this that is a, a unique kind of war film and how it um, presents the human experience and how, how it uh, different um, men deal with the, the same situation. So... Really enjoyed this one. Um, the usual spoiler warning: um, if you haven't seen it and you don't want it, uh, details of the film spoiled before you go into watching it, then uh, do watch it before you listen to this podcast. Otherwise, let's get right ahead with it. Blake, pick a man, bring your kit. I hoped today might be a good day. Hope is a dangerous thing. have a brother in the second battalion yes sir they're walking into a trap your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack if you fail it will be a massacre let's talk about this for a minute why we've got orders to cross here that is the german front line if we're not clever about this no one will get to your brother. I will. There is only one way this ends. <laughs> and I just started recording. Warm up so. the cockles. <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this one instead of those other two. But. Yeah, yeah. All right. The fine. Strangers is good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. It was not bad. Did it, Did you realize I've already started recording? Or 
No, I did not. <laughs> well, I couldn't find some popcorn as we talk about movies all the time, even when we're like uh, kind of just naturally rolling into being on air. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. We, uh, yeah, we, we haven't, it's been a couple of weeks since, um, because of, I don't know, the world was just on fire. Not liter- literally, although some places it is. Actually, there probably, it probably is. Yeah, I mean, um, but just, just yeah. some mishaps on both of our parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I think you'd have to be, if you listen to this podcast and you obviously know what's been going on in the world too, we won't get into that, but yeah, wild, wild week or two. And, um, yeah, we were, we had another Halloween pod planned because we had the two that have dropped, which everyone would have seen. Um, but then I, why didn't, oh yeah, no, it was because of, it was because I was at my cricket dinner and then I won some award that I wasn't expecting. So I was like, I'm staying to get more drunk. (laughs) That was the second day. Yeah. The first day I woke up, texted the wrong person. (laughs) Are we rolling? (laughs) (laughs) And then like, by the time I realized it, you were like already talking to your bride and I was like, all right. Yeah, because I was like, nah, I guess he might have, you know, slipped in. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. We'll just roll another day. <laughs> no. And then you were like, no, texted, I just said, texted the wrong person. Texted Nate <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> oh, I think we've all been there. Um, I've certainly sent a text to um, you that was probably meant for Andrea because you guys both have. Oh, yeah, we've done that before. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> back in college, you asked me why. Or no, was it the wedding? I can't remember. You asked me why I you didn't have love hearts next to your name so i put love hearts next to your name that was oh that was obar official yeah, for sure as a, as, uh, a, as a joke and then it, they've just stayed there so you, sometimes you and andre get mixed up <laughs> yeah you and my pops and i usually text you about similar things yeah like sports or whatever yeah i think there's been a few so. times where you've texted me like something random about sports and you're like oh that was meant for my dad and i'm like well i appreciated yeah. it also so <laughs> it kind of like, like can you believe this fucking starting 11 that uh emery threw out there you're yeah. like yeah i, pro- yeah, I can <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah uh, just very very yeah. similar wavelengths that we travel along in this journey of life um oh yeah we're doing a podcast yeah that's right <laughs> yep Shay struggles to pop a bottle of champagne. Well, um, I'm scared of it, you know. It's scary. <laughs> this is an audio medium, but um, the 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 uh, grimace, the Shay, it's it's a real effort over there. Well, um, I want to shoot it off, but I don't want to like. Right. You don't, you don't want to break bit. a window. <laughs> <sighs> well, we're doing uh, as Shay tries to pop this one. We're um, doing 1917 today. The 20. 20- it's going to be a good title when I put it up on the on the pod. It's the ni- 2019 film, 1917. Oh! <laughs> Is that a fuck yeah? Yeah. Because <laughs> it hit the bricks. Because <laughs> it hit the bricks instead of the windows, and it didn't overflow. So it might be flat. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, it's still, it'll still have Kind out. of like the champagne that Frank Comiskey gave to... The 1918 Chicago White Sox for winning the AL, <laughs> the flat champagne, and then they threw the World Series because it was flat. But a year before that, this story took place. So. <laughs> Boom. Segway. Done. All right. <laughs> 1917, the 2019 Sam Mendes-directed uh, film uh, about the um, a very, very simple story in uh, many ways, but a very com- com- complicated story in its greater meaning. About a couple of couple of blokes that are sent to send a message, just to, just a couple of just a short walk across some 
muddy fields to uh, deliver a message <laughs> that could <laughs> potentially save lots of lives. But, um, you know, in many ways, it's a very simple story in the sense that, um, you know, it's just delivering a message, but there's so much going on. Um, and I think that's why it resonated with both you, you and I so much. And, uh, and as well as the greater audiences, I think it's been a, it's a film that's a bit misunderstood by some, I think, because it's, um, as soon as you just throw World War One into a, a, you know, the, the brief synopsis of a film, people, or World War Two or Vietnam or whatever war movie, people expect, you know, big elaborate battle sequences and stuff like that. Saving yeah. Private Ryan. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. expect look, that, like look, that opening sequence over and over again. There's yeah. plenty of battle scenes in this and it's more, well, I think Saving Private Ryan was probably pretty realistic too, but this was realistic for World War One. I. I mean, it wasn't, you know, if people were expecting like these all-out wars like you saw in like World War Two, it wasn't like, it, I mean, it wasn't like that unless you want to show the guys running into no man's land under machine gun fire, which yeah. I guess they I mean, which was basically storming D-Day. So I guess I don't, I don't know. I think World War One was just about like a lot, like the fighting style was about a lot more than just like those classic action scenes. Yeah. And I mean, like there was plenty of, like obviously there was plenty of huge pitched battles in World War One, but um, this film doesn't, it's not actually telling a story. It's telling a story about, um, you know, men and humanity and just the, the, her- heroic nat- like the heroic nature of man um, and it's not anything to do with the heroic nature of man and war in itself it's just what men what people can do in a situation when um, when they you know are just put into it and so the whereas you know Saving Private Ryan um, you know the start of the film obviously was incredible as a cinematic experience and still is and um, and certainly told the story of the horrors of that landing um, and then there was some other scene other great battle scenes and that it finishes with a great battle sequence as well but just 1917 isn't about it's a it's a story about men just during a war which you know a lot of war movies are but it's actually really just doesn't need those kind of sequences you know the, probably the most action we get in 1917 as far as that is directly involving the um, our main characters is both the brief moment, um, the struggle with the pilot, and then uh, and then the, the, that scene in the city where he's running away, like the, he's running running away from the so, some of the some of the Germans are drunk, I think. <laughs> in um, that in, dude's barfing, yeah, for sure. And, and he not, doesn't even worry about killing him. He just like <laughs> like like strangles that, that kid to death. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to give that we're laughing because it's uncomfortable because it's scary because that's realistic. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. other war movies portray it too. It's like, you know, sometimes you had to fight hand to hand in these battles. It wasn't all just like you know up in a sniper tower and then getting bombed by an airplane. Like mm-hmm. sometimes it got you know, oh, and you see that when they put their bayonets on. And I just think it really captured like the emotions of these young men really well in it and what they had to go up against. Like just all of it everybody's so hardened throughout the movie everybody um the main character runs into is always pissed off because it's like yeah you're living in a goddamn trench the rats are huge everybody's mad all the time i just yeah i thought it was just like a different i don't know a different type of war movie i guess just because it was I don't, know, just, I don't know. I'm sure we'll get into why it was different. Yeah, I mean, but. we'll talk about a bit the story, like the story and the characters first up, and maybe after our break we can talk about the technical aspects of the film because that's certainly where a lot of it's... Um, a lot of the talk about the film obviously came from its one-shot um, style and 
and just the um and you know some incredible cinematography and some sequences and whatnot. So we'll get into that. But I mean, um, yeah. Beyond- can I just say right now though? Yes. That the people who are like, who are like, oh, I could see where they cut. I could see where they were doing cuts. It's like the same people are just saying like Biden and Harris are hardly better. It's just like, fuck off. All right. No one need. No one needs that right now. No one yeah. needs to say, oh, I could see where it cut. It's a beautiful film. And if people didn't see those cuts, then shut the fuck up. Like, and they talk about they they talk openly about where they did the cuts. They're like, yeah, we had to do a cut at some point. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna film this guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're gonna film this guy running through France, like just nonstop for two hours, and hope that it works. And if not, we have to reset and go two hours again. It's yeah. just like, all right, whatever. Who cares? Like it. Just because it looks like it was shot in one take doesn't mean like they had to do it that way. Like, yeah, of course they had to cut. Yeah, like I think one of the main cuts um, that you know you you notice is when he jumps into the river, and because that had to be done with some green screen and stuff like that, as far as the the intermittent part. But it's still done well. Like, yeah, when people are whining about how they notice it, it's pretty obvious where the cuts happen. There's a few moments where they go through dark shadows and stuff, and you can tell that's a moment where they would have done it, but. The film was done in a style not to be a gimmick. It actually was done in a, to tell the story. So, yeah, we'll get into it. But, I mean, um, I think beyond the fact that it's shot in a way that immerses you in the in the, in the the day or the eight hour or, you know, the day that these men live, um, or one of them does the whole way through anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert will be at the start. It's all good. Um, but, you know, the the... the the technical aspect of it does help tell the story, but um, what was really great to me about going to see this film, because again we'd heard all about the, the promos for this film was the the way it was shot, but um, the characters and the story is really emotionally powerful, um, and it doesn't. And what I find amazing about it is that it doesn't rely on you know. Um, and I, I don't know, Saving Private Ryan keeps coming up, but it's one of the big war movies <laughs> in the in the in the, um, can, in the historical record of war movies. And Saving Private Ryan, I do, I do love the movie. It does a great job of, of portraying the horrors of war and, again, what men do and how they cope with it and the different coping mechanisms. But there are a lot of moments in Saving Private Ryan where there are little monologues and speeches that are the way that we get into these men and get to know them, which is great. But what... I love about 1917 is we just got dropped straight into the day of their life and it's just little conversations and, and, and facial expressions and little moments that we find out about these men and we don't need to know everything about them and we don't get to find out everything about them. Um, but it's just the little conversations like Dean Charles Chapman's character, um, uh, uh, Blake, um, Blake, yeah. You know, Tom talking, Blake. Yeah. We used to, you know, it just naturally comes <laughs> up about the orchards, um, uh, and he's talking about you know the story about the rat biting the guy's ear off. You get you get a sense of right. you get a sense of his character that his coping mechanism for the war is talking and um and and talking about things and and trying to have a you know glass half full kind of attitude about it. And it's not to say Schofield doesn't. Schofield's just a lot more quiet and reserved and private about his life. And and you just find out these little bits about these men without actually having to go into having a sit-down meal and around a candlelit, you know, room, wherever that was, in Saving Private Ryan, different moments. It's, um, there's nothing wrong with either way. It's just I find that really impressive in a film that was un- just under two hours, I think, 1917. So it's not like yeah. your, like your three-hour war epic either. It's um, actually quite 
short when you talk about um, powerful war films um, that have come out in the last year. Dun- Dun- Dunkirk was also a two-hour film, which was really well done as well. And, and similarly, it had its own technical um, achievements that it did really well and how it was made. But yeah, I, I think that's what caught me by surprise the most is how emotionally hit I was by this film. And I know that you were too, because you were the one, you saw it before. Oh, yeah. I, you saw it before I did. And um, it was probably your... Um, thoughts after you saw it in cinema that really i mean i think i was going to try and see it in cinema anyway but it was, it was your review afterwards and how emotionally hit you were by the film that really made me give me the impetus to say i need to make sure i go see this in cinema yeah uh it's kind of all flooding back right now this is back when the world was kind of normal um like way back in january i think <clears throat> but yeah, just sitting there, I think I just cried the last 30 minutes. I think I've said that on the, on this pod about this movie before. It's just, like, I don't know why. I was just, like, so overcome with, like, they did such a good, like, very few movies do that to me. And they always have to catch me off guard. Because, like, if I go into a movie knowing that I'm going to be, like, emotionally rocked, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm probably not going to end up that way. But going into this movie, I was just like, okay, everybody says it's good. It's, you know, it's a war movie. And like while we said like Dunkirk was good and Saving Private Ryan's good and everything, but like those aren't the movies that I like turn to, you know, when I'm thinking of movies I like really want to watch. So I was like, okay, nineteen seventeen, it's gonna be like that kind of. It's gonna be good and well done and um, you know, I'm not gonna really take that much from it, but except that it was well done. But it but it just got me really emotional. I think it's like the duality of his character at the start getting mad at Blake um, for picking him. Mm. And then like by the end of the film, just completely committed (laughs) to to saving the lives mainly because he saw, I think that was the catalyst of his, his, him seeing his friend die. So up close, I think that was like, Hey, I, as much as I have to save other British dudes from getting murdered mm-hmm. <laughs> i almost said boys and then i said dudes which sounded even worse <laughs> but um <laughs> but also just as much of a commitment to go tell his brother you know that he wasn't alone yeah. and that he wanted to write his mother and that he was so committed to that and the dude just gets the hell beaten out of him throughout the film <laughs> like everything like starting from that first uh, barbed wire right in the palm which would hurt so bad I can't, like, it makes me wince every time I see it. I've, like, I, I grew up on a farm and I've done plenty of fencing with, literally, with uh, tensioning barbed wire. And, um, yeah, it hurts. I've had, yeah, I've definitely had my hand. Right in the like, middle of the palm, too. And it's like, oh, you have to work a gun now? And, yeah. like, and he doesn't even, like, he isn't, like, I think he does this, like, once, like, mm-hmm. in this audio medium. But I think he, like, grips his hand once and bandages it. And then it's just like. Oh, there's one more thing well, that happens before he bandages it, though. <laughs> What's that? He, he, oh, he, yeah. when he gets when he gets bumped into the Puts fucking German, German. And, he, <laughs> and he says that he goes, "I put my hand in, just went through, went through a German or something." And he says "effing" in yeah. it, which just felt weird. Is that, have they have people been saying that forever? I thought I remember like culturally when we started saying like "effing" instead of "fuck" and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. I, that was the one moment of the film where I was like, "That doesn't seem." true to form and then i thought i had like an edited version of the film when i was just watching it but no i feel like that's probably happened for a while um that's probably, so we gross less, we probably say it less now because we just everyone just says fuck instead even if they're in yeah. this situation they probably shouldn't say <laughs> put my hand through an effing german that like now 
has how far we've come, you know, in the last 103 years with medicine and having an open wound and putting it through a festering corpse, that's enough to also just make you like, oh, that guy is going to die now because he has some sort of rare blood disease. I was I was eating some chocolate and having a coffee. Oh, here we go. I was <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I, I was just like, it's um, and it's not like it's um, it's not like it's gory in the sense of a horror film or something like that. But it's because the reality of that moment, um, because you know, like this movie is based, it's very much based in reality, and because I as you know, a human being that's read enough and knows enough about war history and just the gruesomeness of disease and, and, and festering corpses and stuff like that. It, it made me put my food down just watching. And it was not like, it's not like they linger on it or anything. It's just his hand goes into a corpse. And because of the, the very gr- just gritty reality at the moment, it was more um, stomach churning to me than, you know, the buckets of blood I've watched in the Evil Dead remake or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> right. It's just that, well, yeah, because it's and real. That's, and that's like shit, pa- like this happened. Yeah, and that's the, the power, power. That's the power of the film is that it's um, it doesn't have to, like everything this film does is just what happened. It doesn't linger on anything. It doesn't make a big powerful point about any of those moments. It just says this is war and this is the moments that people live through, and and they do just have to get on with it because he does just go, you know, he's just cut his hand open, put it through a gem, and he's like. And you know, uh, Blake goes, "Oh, fix it up. You know, patch it up, and we'll get." And it's my- Blake's fault because Blake runs into him because he's yeah. scared of a skull. Meanwhile, there's a festering corpse next to uh, Will, and he just- <laughs> it's all it's. It would be funny if it like wasn't re- realistic. Yeah, and it, it kind of shows of it. just the fucked up shit that they had to do. And then, like, I think what also really got that got to me, like going back to why it impacted me so much, is like how fucking awful war is. Especially all the way back then when, you know, ancient warfare was meeting modern warfare, which I think um, World War One is like the most, like, I mean, they didn't even touch gas in this mm. any, or anything. So that, thankfully, they didn't do that. But just the horrors of war and like the, those kids are like, they're supposed to be like 18 to 20, probably. I don't know how old they are in it. But there's one kid in the, uh, in the back of the truck when he finally gets picked up that like looks like he's 16 the yeah. kid with the teeth like and he's and the kid's a dickhead so he probably is 16 and it's just <laughs> like oh, i just got sent off to war and it's like i couldn't comprehend that at 31 mm. let alone 15 years ago when i, oh, I, I would have died immediately yeah. i would have died from cutting my hand on the barbed wire i would have been like oh i'm out <laughs> <laughs> but i think going back to what you're saying um it like the movie just the pacing of it is so good and so true to war is that like you can't you don't take time mm-hmm. and then that's all encapsulated by i want i say archie from rock and rolla because i don't know the actor's name but we talked about it earlier Mark, archie mark strong <laughs> yeah amazing little bit part for him he just says don't dwell and that's like the whole story of this entire movie and in, in will's travel to getting this message to not only the commander but also his brother yeah like he easily could have just hung out in that basement with the um young lady and the baby mm-hmm. but he risked his life to do it it's like you don't dwell yeah. you know this seems really cozy right here and he and he did his part giving the milk and everything but like don't dwell mm-hmm. it's like and i think he took that <laughs> like i think he literally took that advice from again i'm calling him archie 
the whole way because Archie and Rock and Roll. I might watch Rock and Roll at night. Yeah, rock and Roll is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> Archie's so cool in it. So I love seeing him show up and all that. We talked off air about the famous Brits showing up in this. Mm. Like I think it's perfectly spotted throughout, and we agreed on that. Yeah, it's it's um funny. I thought thought like the um you know because Colin Firth is just in it at the start. Then you have Mark Strong in the middle and uh, Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch um, at the end as Colonel McKenzie, um, which is the um, all important Colonel McKenzie. They're trying to get the message through to. Um, That's such a great reveal too, by the way. Yeah. Just to interrupt real quick, but like just when you're like who, you know they've already thrown a couple of famous British actors at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're like almost completely off guard, and then it turns around. It's, and he's perfect. He plays it perfectly. Yeah. But go ahead. That's my bad. Um, no, no, no. You're good. Um, I I find like that adds that little bit of um, importance to the scene. Like when you have because uh, you had two two actors that are known. Um, Dean Charles Chapman, uh, who plays Tom Blake, was obviously young Tom and Tom and um, Baratheon in what. Oh, you didn't think that, that that's Tom? <laughs> what? Uh, he's he's Tommen from Game of Thrones, you know. Oh my god. Is the, that his natural hair color? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess Black. that's one. Uh, oh, yeah, pro- oh, sorry. What what hair color was he in? I can't even think of it cuz he's got a he's helmet. He's a Lannister, right? Oh, yeah, no. So, yeah, his natural hair color wouldn't I assume he was Tommen's the one who the the young one. Yeah, who jumps out of the building after jumps out. Okay. I which most people probably Holy shit. If you were sixteen and you were married to Natalie Dormer and you saw her get blown up in a castle, you probably would want to jump out of a building. (laughs) I had a hard enough time with my breakup when I was seventeen, so I can't imagine if it was yeah, Natalie. (laughs) Not even Princess Purr could save me. (laughs) But uh yeah. So holy um, shit! I so, didn't yeah. realize. That. So he's that a well. Great, he's a well. Great job. I was gonna ask you if he, if that actor had done anything else. This is how much research I do. I lean on you for the research. Oh, you know, you know, I've uh, yeah, I just yeah, I have an eye for those things. But and I just well, the other actor's um, done a done something. The other um, he's done a couple of things. He, I know better, the one I've seen him in is is the true story, of the Kelly Gang, which is an Australian kind of. <laughs> historical fiction film like based on um, obviously the if you know anything about Australian lore it's um the Ned Kelly gang and stuff like that so George McKay uh Mackay yeah uh plays plays Ned Kelly which is a very famous Australian again Australian folklore kind of thing so um yeah so he's been in a bit um so they get two good experienced actors but not super well known for the, the main roles because of the young men that are doing this and then they get incredibly well-known actors to do the more adult roles which i find very good for the, uh, an audience like a subconscious audience thing is you when you see colin firth come on screen you're like this guy's important when you see mark strong um and mark strong's probably not as well known as maybe Cumberbatch and um and colin firth uh he's kind of that middle one that's like you know i'm i'm on the road but i'm still the leader here and then you know Cumberbatch at the end um he just says obviously his um both his voice and his uh, his facial presence um he kind of conveys his weird ass face yeah <laughs> um, and just like I, I love, how they I wrote that character is perfect yeah they wrote that character perfectly for him and he played it perfectly yeah yeah because you, you, Cause can, the, you yeah. can imagine that um and it's incredible when uh, mark strong's character says you know just make sure there are witnesses that's great writing as well as just you set up that little that little extra like not that it's not just hard enough for him to just get there and deliver the goddamn fucking message 
now he's going to make sure the guy fucking listens and there's people around to, like that that little bit and of, archie says that archie's yeah. like make sure, yeah like that's some, fucked up that yeah. shit's fucked up some people just like the fight so it's like that's nuts and and so as a storytelling as a storytelling aspect of it too that was really well done because you know you're already invested in this story of just getting them there anyway and then you're like oh okay so he's got to get he's got to fucking survive this journey and then when he gets there he's got to convince a somewhat rogue uh like commander that he shouldn't send all these men to his death because he might just want to do it anyway like yeah exactly yeah so and you know and that's not you know some people might think that's a little bit hollywood but that's not that's not unrealistic you know there's not not everyone's always on the same page in these things in war um it's very clear you know right through history um so like it's um an incredible part of the storytelling bit that's um still true to life as well so it just adds that extra extra uh levity to the situation and how important it is for him to get there and then do his job so luckily there were witnesses in the in the room so um yeah the thing is like his job like don't like who is going to even yeah maybe it would get recognized now that he survived it and everything mm. but <laughs> if he dies no one's gonna know the her like if he dies even when he's running through that first wave mm. uh um of the b division or whatever that that is actually already just already been sent to their deaths yeah which is just brushed over in the film <laughs> it's like yes he saved a bunch of lives but he didn't get there in time which i think was really important for the film because it's more realistic it's like yeah i mean he gets knocked out for however long on the floor when he kills that german in the in the abandoned um little house yeah like yeah he wasn't gonna get there on time even if he didn't get knocked out like that the guys in the back of the truck were saying like oh you'll never get there Mm. you know like just trying to so yeah just i like those realistic scenarios and it's kind of like in Dunkirk when Tom Hardy's character gets um, captured at the end. Yeah. It's like, I was realistic. It's like, yes, this dude did a heroic thing. But um, I think this film really did what I thought Dunkirk would do. Which was just like, I thought, I don't know. I just kind of had the opposite of expectations for those two films. Yeah. And they kind of flipped. I thought Dunkirk was good, but it didn't hit me like 1917. Mm. Yeah, Dunkirk was a very much... Um, yeah, I, I love Dunkirk for what it did and to- how it told a story that, um, you know, trying to just rescue a bunch of blokes that are just stuck on a beach, basically. It, I, I'm boiling boiling that down to the bed. Colin Firth in that one as well. He is? Yeah, he's the... Uh, Oh no, it's not. It's the dude that looks like him. You're talking about good. you're talking about Kenneth Branagh. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, could be Colin Firth, though. Easily, they probably reached out to Colin Firth and were like, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't. I don't want to disrespect either of their names because they're both very well respected um, vet veteran actors. So, um, oh, they remind me of each other. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We'll go, we'll go I'll that. leave it at that. <laughs> I definitely thought that was Colin. I haven't seen Dunkirk since it came out, though, so it's been a while. Yeah. So that's why I got confused. Yeah. Um, I'm looking it up right now. I know he's not in it, but just for my own. <laughs> your, own your own sanity. Yeah. No. I, um, I found, yeah, the emotional impact of um, a lot of the 
I, I said earlier, but I I found it it builds, and I, I'm sure that's probably partly why you found your um last thirty minutes in the cinema just um a tearful one because it, it it's just slowly. I find it a very unique experience watching this, and I I, I wondered how it'd be after it. So I saw it in the cinemas and watched it again until last night, um, and was kind of wondering if I I remember when I watched it in the cinema, I had this weird experience where the emotion just slowly built throughout the film, and I didn't really. Mm-hmm didn't really realize it was happening until I was already feeling pretty emotional by the end of the film. And it's not like I was in tears or anything. I just felt this tingling inside and this feeling of empathy for everyone that's that was going through it. And again, it's not like they do anything to do that to you apart from just giving you little snippets of the characters. And then maybe it's um, my empathy for people that have to go through this in war. Like it's not like I'm, you know, very anti-war and don't, and a lot of wars are quite, um, are quite futile in their uh, in what they're you know just it's just a stupid thing to do. Um, and you know even World War One was just because of um political powers um battling with each other, and then you know it's always the grunts. That Some trouble in the Balkans. Yeah, <laughs> and then just arms races over the last ten fifteen years. You know, and you know the pol- politicos sit in their houses and send young men to their deaths for it. So, but so it's the empathy I feel for um everyone that has to go through these situations because you know a lot of there are a lot of men that go to war that um, deal with very well, but there's a lot of men that go to war that, while they get through it, they do their job. They're written, they're the emotional distress it takes on on the mind and soul um, is is quite paramount. And I could see, it, especially this war. Yeah, I mean, and, this and, is where shell shock started. Yeah, like that's you know. And Schofield. Now it's all the way down to PTSD, but it started as shell shock. It's an old George Carlin bit. Yeah, it's like it started as shell shock. Because that's how fucked up it was. Like, they didn't have a medical name. It just fucked you up. Yeah. And, like, you never... I mean, there's that famous um, photo from World War One of the guy with the thousand-yard stare, which I think is, like, the first known, like, photo of it. He's, like, laughing, but his eyes are just completely, like... Mm. And, like, yeah, when you're using artillery, but also using horses at the same time, but also using gas... But still using swords at certain points, it's like this is insane. This yeah. is an insane. Like it's just an insane war, and I, I think World War One is is largely, other than the Korean War, at least in America, the big forgotten wars. Um, yeah, in yeah, our I mean, country. Yeah, the Korean War still going in a way. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I. That's a lot to unpack. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a movie podcast. We yeah. will do a history podcast one day. Yeah, it's on the. It's on the. It's just. It's. I want to. I don't want to do that one. I don't want to do that one without having put the the investment into making sure. It's... Well, we had to make sure we were going to live through the next four years, and yeah. luckily we took a big step forward with that last uh, Saturday. So yeah, um, which is why I'm drinking champagne. By the way, now, I'm not drinking champagne because we're doing a film about World War One yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Armistice Day. But cheers to those servants yeah i suppose yeah um, so where was going? oh yeah so the the emotion Sorry. yeah no no you're right i was just trying to get back to my where i was going with my point but it's yeah the emo i find the character of um Schofield, like, i mean blake unfortunately passes away and um his last moments are quite mind blown yeah mind blown the first time i saw it 
You're like, oh, they're too, just gonna kill this guy. Yeah, because you, you, all the ads and and everything you'd seen, it kind of was like these two go through to the end, and maybe I thought one of them was, but it was, it was relatively early in the film. It's within the first hour or so, I think. So. Oh, it's way early. It's yeah. way earlier than I thought. It's yeah. like I want to say first twenty minutes. Yeah. No, no, not I just first watched it. No, it's not the first twenty minutes because they go through that whole tunnel system and they're blowing up of the right, and he yeah. saves his life. Yeah. Which um, I think that's there's a couple of moments there that are, yeah, the, t- the tunnel moment you kind of get a, a sense of his even though he's a, I think his character of Blake was meant to be that kind of eighteen nineteen year old because he's got a real baby face in the film, and um, then Schofield I don't think he's meant to be much older but just a touch older, <laughs> early twenties kind of a young adult more so than um Blake is but you get you get a sense of while they're both very different characters you get a sense of that they're both have that heroic quality about them that they can do what they need to do in the moment. Because you see Blake when that um, rat trips the wire, which that's just a great tension set, a great moment of tension that didn't go on for ages. It was, oh, shit, okay, there's a trip wire and there's a rat. And then he goes, oh, no, stop. And then, like, explode. Like, the tension building in this film at different moments is really, really well done. But um, you see, you get a sense of his his heroic capabilities in that moment where he pulls pulls Schofield out of the wreckage and then leads him through because he can't see at that time, so he's completely lost. And he yeah, he has to make that jump. Or it's yeah. just like, oh my. And, God. It, and and Blake doesn't he doesn't dwell again. You know, don't dwell. He just said, just you, dwell. Ju- you just have to jump. You you need to do it, otherwise you're gonna die. So just do it. And you know, it's not like it's a gaping chasm like a some of the you know. A James Bond movie, incre- incredible jump that no one could actually make, kind of thing. It's just, a, it's a small, but that's that's kind of, that's reality. Is like a small jump when you can't see is still going to be like the leap of faith in Indiana Jones or something like that. So, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he barely makes it. Too, yeah. By the way, like Blake has to grab him and pull him. Yeah. So. But then that. Which, I mean, if you're blind, jump as far as fucking yeah. as you can. But you don't know where to jump from. So yeah, I, yeah. You don't know if you because yeah, you don't know how to take a running jump because you don't know. Ah, that'd jump. be oh, yeah. man. I can't even imagine being in that situation. I mean, but. that's why that's how this film like builds up like. And I think ten- the real emotional moment for me that um, hit the first time where I really was like, oh god, this movie might get me is like when Blake does get killed. It's like such a. It's such a like a realistic portrayal of war is that sometimes you just the death comes so when you've done something right and you've done everything right and you get just get stabbed by an un, unforgiving you know indoctrinated o- opponent soldier that you've just pulled from a burning plane that he was about to die in and then he's gotten into a scuffle with you and he stabbed you with I don't know his knife or his um, I think I think when i watched it last no episode. they show that knife right away yeah. i noticed that upon it's watching a- today it's like that knife is very present and i think mendez did that on purpose yeah like kind of gives you that hint and that also just happen. shows the innocence of blake really in the in the men that were or the, the, qual- the quality of the man that he is that he wanted to help him but yeah. also that the fact that just not because- me not me man <laughs> you killed that He's yeah. on fire. You know, you put him out of his misery, but like As he was just said. trying to kill your. I mean, it's war. You yeah. know, that's. I think. I think this movie portrayed that really well. Is yeah, that, like, like hey, this is war. Like the, to survive war, you have to be prepared for war. Yeah, I guess. But I think then, that's like. Then an then it's also. It's also that there's. There's not. I'm helping an opposition soldier and them not doing that would have happened times at times too. There's plenty of stories of things like that happening. So, I think it's just a portrayal of that. Good men sometimes 
get undeserving and it's not like it's a heroic death like he's charged into charged into battle like John Bastalone on on Iwo Jima like it's not like um there's like some people just that are very good people and have shown heroic qualities and done heroic things in the war still bite it by just the most innocuous thing that just shouldn't happen and it's just that's the ugliness of war is that these moments it's not always the yeah John Wayne war doesn't care yeah war doesn't care like it just doesn't care like you can be the best person in the world or you can be the worst person i mean you want to go to full metal jacket um i can't think of the guy's name but there's an awful soldier in that or if you want to watch platoon there's plenty of awful soldiers in that and that that survive in the long run while the other you know war does yeah war doesn't pick favorites it just is what it is and that's what makes it so awful Mm mm-hmm Maybe yeah okay. I was about to go down a weird path, and <laughs> maybe maybe off air. <laughs> yeah, um, but the, the, that <clears throat> that kind of from that point on, you get the you realize how much um, that friendship. You know how long these two soldiers had been friends. It's hard to know, but um, they, they were friends, and there was a respect between each other. And although you know Schofield had his little like, "Why did you pick me?" kind of frustration moment, he. He was invested still because he knew the importance of it. Um, you know, there was some self-preservation to him, hoping that he didn't get a mission like this. But once he's on it, he's got to go through with it. And um, yeah, I think once I saw him die, and when he, you know, when he he's trying to pull the body away to um, just set it up, I guess I don't know if he was going to plan to bury again. It, it's just, that scene makes no sense to me, and but it's just like part of war when you yeah. just like watch. What do you your fellow you, man go down? And it's like all they did was like move him to grass. Yeah, <laughs> and that's fine. Maybe they didn't want him by the German. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. I don't. I don't know if any thought went into why he was doing it at all. I think he was in shock, and he was just like, yeah, still trying to save him in a way, almost, yeah. even though he'd already taken off his jewelry and everything. I don't yeah. know. The other, it's just something you'll never know unless you've experienced it, yeah. which hopefully no one has to experience this shit anymore. Yeah. Um, the other moment that I find that really I think was the moment I and I genuinely and it may be just my the human side of me that I like finding the em- empathy in moments and when people people remember the good things about humanity and and who we need really need to help was that moment in the basement with the lady with the baby. Um, that is such a great such great writing. Um, it's f- just done so well the, the human connection between them. Um, this kind of, they, they kind of understand each other even though they're not speaking the same language and and just Absolutely. the reminder of what you like the reminder of beyond all this shit and it's a reminder that we can use for this mo- current moment too is there's there's new life to preserve that is innocent that we can we should work to preserve with whatever we're doing and um and you know that moment and you know you see he kind of—I don't know where his mind was at that point when he, because he's just been chased again and he's been on his own for a little while and little concussion. Yeah. After falling down a flight of stairs. Yeah. Um, I think it came at the perfect moment to remind his character, kind of. He he was trying to get to the front to save people like this. You know, this kid's obviously a little baby, so it's not going to war anytime soon. But it was well, in the middle of one. Probably ended up in World War Two, and it probably ended poorly because it <laughs> seemed like it was probably on the French front lines. Yeah, but hey, it was a girl though, so yeah, yeah, it still could end poorly. Um, could have been a nurse. Yeah, back then. Um, it, but it remind kind of remind of I think. Um, you know, he realized after the moment with them that, like, what he was going to the front to do to save these men was to to try to preserve 
buy for the future as well. And it's like, um, and whether people read it the same way, and I, I just take moments and think about them in the greater context, and they do just mean in the film. But I thought it was just a really sweet moment too, and kind of adds that because you know sometimes, and this is again what this movie did perfectly was it just added the humanity at the right moments to remind without push shoving it down your throat or anything like that. It just was what it was, and um. Yeah, again, it's just the, the more more emotion, m- more emotional impact in these little moments from this film than I thought I was going to get when I went into it. Definitely. Like, it's just a scene where it's like he could have hung out for the rest of the war in that little bunker probably mm-hmm. and been fine, you know, with the baby and the girl. And, like, if there wasn't a war going on, maybe him and that girl are, like, flirtatious just out on the street. You know, that's what war does. It's like they're both just in complete survival mode at that point. And I think it was just like kind of a needed respite in the middle of the film, not mm-hmm. only for the character, but for the viewers. The viewers needed that break of like, holy hell. Because like, we're basically in Will's life at that point. We yeah. are Will as the viewer. You need a little break like that. And so when he decides, he's like, no, I got to go. Mm-hmm. And she's and she straight up tells him like, bad idea. Yeah. And it was a bad idea, but he still survived it. And it's just like, yeah, the end of that scene, I think the point that really got, like, that started the tears in the theater is when he had to climb over, like, the bloated, not only German soldiers, but the bloated um, English soldiers or whoever mm. as well in that little dam that caught them because they had been shot and fallen into the river or whatever. And it's mm. like, God damn, dude. And then he breaks down after doing that because it's like, man, he held it together so much after seeing his friend die and seeing putting his hand through a dead body and seeing all these being shot at and all these dead bodies and then it's like oh my god he finally gets to where he doesn't even know that it's where he needs to be it just it, it happens to be but uh he gets to safety you would say yeah and he still has to climb over a river of dead bodies and it's just like, oh man yeah and that's what this it's movie, just a, yeah yeah and that's what this movie does really well is um as well as like just the um this not that we can smell the film but you, you get an idea for how horrible feel it you, you, yeah there's the when they first climb over the at the start of the film and the rotting rotting horses and and the camera the goes, horse the camera like um and yeah we'll talk about the technical stuff after the break like and deacons because i love that guy he like he takes the camera right through the buzzing flies over that that um yeah the flies man that shit freaks me out and again, so yeah about so it. watching it with surround sound like well, i mean i saw it in cinema but then surround sound again last night really good sound mix with the um which I think it won Academy Awards for the sound mixing, so um, yeah. well deserved. But yeah, like everything, just it, it, the film immerses you so much in it. So you, even though you can't smell the the rotting flesh and the and the flies and all that stuff, but the you you feel you kind of get a a feel ten, like um, in yourself of what that's going to be like. I mean, you could never even get remotely close to it. The film does a good enough job of making you feel icky about, and uh, icky is not the right word either. But it just <laughs> makes you feel. It makes you feel disgusted, disgusted yeah. by what's going, what these guys have to go through, and what the scenery is to them, because it is just fields of death, and that's horrible, and that's and that's not something people shouldn't have to go through, and and they, but these soldiers had to, and um, the film without again, it doesn't shove anything down your throat. It's just the camera is almost constantly moving, apart from that scene maybe in the basement. You're always walking with them, otherwise, really. Um, so it's just passing by these scene, these bits of scenery that these soldiers had to deal with for years on end in world war one um if they made it that far and it's just like yeah the film just does such a good job of 
making you feel the emotional impact of that too. And and um, yeah, Schofield was very stoic throughout. Like he's very, like I said at the start of the film, he's very, very reserved and doesn't try tries to hold his emotions in check and not give too much up to. You know, when he's talking about not why he got rid of the medal, he just doesn't really talk about his medal. He just says, I just swapped him for a bottle of wine. He doesn't want to get into it. He's just like, that's what happened. Um, cause it, you Seemed know, like a good deal at the time. Yeah. So you can tell he kind of, his experience with war is it's just a, jo- like just a job I've got to get out of, I guess. But um, but you can tell that the emotional impact it's having on the man, that's what I was talking about earlier. And, you start to, and when we got into shell shock and stuff like that, like while he's holding it in check and he's he's pretty, he's a pretty tough guy, as far as his ability to be able to handle it, he does have that emotional breakdown because it does. He's gone. He's been put through the ringer, and um, you know when he's sitting down there with that beautiful whoever that guy is singing that song was that whole drawing. The huge and, part. Yeah, yeah um, and then they're just like, God, he's soaked, and he's just sitting there, just staring into staring blankly, kind of, and you just tell this this experience has almost broken him it's i and i think to that point it had broken him but then he just you know says who he's looking for and they're like oh that's us and it kind of gives him that impetus again then he starts running again yeah like the and the, and yeah yeah say, that's like the beautiful part picture. of his character yeah. yeah is it once he's not into the mission and then once his buddy dies once blake dies it's like okay we're, we're completing this mission i don't care if i die and he almost dies in every single way possible mm. on the way there. So, yeah. And that song, again, going back to kind of what I said about The Basement, too, is that song was like a nice little respite, too, mm-hmm. for the audience. Yes. And for him, because he gets to sit and, you know, and just, you know, that would be really powerful in 1917. Mm-hmm. to just sit there you know you don't have records or shit like that you just you know just sit there and listen to some guy that has pipes especially singing like a very emotional song mm-hmm. like, and will ended up saving all those guys lives yeah in retrospect which is very cool you know they saved his life in a way because mm-hmm. he could have just like died of hypothermia there or whatever i mean who knows what ended up happening to will i think the show peaky blinders does a good job of showing what guys who came back from World War One were like in England, and mm. it's not a it's not a pretty picture, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there's one more scene that I almost forgot about that I I really think um, the scene where the the truck goes off the side of the road and they're trying to get it going again. He's like, yeah. and everyone else is kind of just standing there like this is just whatever. But then they. He's just like, no, we got to go, and he's like, you can see the tears. He's the only one face. that has somewhere to be. Yeah, yeah. and the, but then you can kind of see the other soldiers go. Okay, he's there's something going on here, and like he's, we, they kind of take his, they see his strength and his determination to do whatever he's got to do, even though they don't really get it, and they jump in and help, and I find that a really good moment in showing that you know the the different kinds of people that were in this war, you know, cause the other, the, the young kid you were talking about, even though he's being a dickhead, he's still just, that's just his personality. He still helps. And, um, right. And then you have the, um, the, so I don't know what ethnicity he was exactly, but I'm going to uh, say Indian. Yeah. Um, but you know, so which shows the, just given of, their you know, relationship. Yeah. With them. They're kind of the, the amount of soldiers that came from different parts of the Commonwealth to be, cause you know, Australians were there as well. Uh, which is his own commentary, especially when the kid, you know, says he hardly speaks the English or hardly speaks the language, and yeah. he obviously speaks it really well and does the the um, the uh, 
impersonation just as well, if not better than you know the yeah. kid with the teeth. So but yeah, yeah. And, so know, that, I thought that was a little he gives small a commentary on it. Yeah, on he, like hey. You know, just because we're rooting for the English in this, they also colonized, like, one of the biggest nations in the world now, like, mm. and treated them awfully. I thought that I thought that was um, a little nod to that. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and he's, the, he's the one that really gives the um, nod of the head and a real, like, I hope you get there kind of thing when um, Schofield right. gets off the bus there. And, yeah, it's just a lot of those little moments, character moments that, um, you know, you, and we're meeting all these characters along the way that don't, you know, you don't know their names or anything like that, but they just the, the writing's so well done. Um, we'll talk about that after the break and whatever. But it's just, yeah, um, and that's all the little things, those little moments that build that emotional emotional impact that you and I both felt from the film. So, um, the end of it, uh, we've I mean, we talked about the uh, the Colonel McKenzie bit, which is just powerful. And I think you said today on your rewatch, the guy that's standing at the doorway after he stops at how, you know the second in command i guess what he was but you know <laughs> when he's out of mckenzie i don't know his rank or anything yeah but. um he's when he's out he's kind of out of his shot of mckenzie i assume or mckenzie's just doing his other thing he's just what is, what does he say he's, he just says well done lad yeah and it's just like that's yeah. exact it just hits so fucking hard well, it's, it's the, like it's, it's the perfect cadence, the cadence in his voice and and the and his eyes you can see that he's he his really demeanor yeah 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 it's just he really meant it and he really would didn't want it like he was really just following the orders of McKenzie but probably knew it was a bad idea as well and um you know he's incredibly deeply thankful for the effort that um even though he da- he hasn't heard Schofield's story and what he's gone through he probably knows in himself that he's probably gone through some shit well he would have just known oh if he's come from that line to get here he's gone through what was no man's what was German territory just a day ago um so he's gone through an unprecedented kind of journey to get there to stop it. So even though they haven't talked about it, he just he knows and he has the understanding of what the power powerful act that Schofield's done. Yeah. yeah, it's just I don't think there is anything better that he could have said. Like if he would have gushed over what he did or anything like that, it wouldn't have been. He just said it just means so much in the in the brevity of yeah. what he says. It's just. It's and like you said, it's the look. He just he looks relieved, and he and we, I don't know. It's just like an appreciation that you can't look over, I guess, because he does get such so dismissed by Benedict Cumberbatch. He literally Benedict Cumberbatch literally tells him to fuck off, you know, in like a, you know, I think a dry British way. It's not like fuck off, like as, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's British. It's like, yeah, you did your job. Yeah. Cool. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why you're in the army. Like, that's why you're a part of us. So that, like, seeing him get dismissed like that, and then just the again, him just saying such a brief little, which is well done. I mean, that's all it takes sometimes. And mm-hmm. then just like, especially knowing like, oh, there's still more of this film, and that his mission isn't over. It's just like, I don't know. I think it's uh I think that's like the peak of the film. Is is not even him delivering the messages, it's just the well done. Because that's what the viewer wants to be able to say to him. The viewer wants to be able to say, Hey, good job. Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, I guess, yeah, I guess you, you worked your ass off because we saw what they what he went through to do it. So yeah. I think that is a relief to the to the audience, um, is that he finally does and I mean 
he doesn't get what he deserves ever. I mean, nobody ever. I mean, that's all he gets throughout the whole thing. It was just that well done. Yeah, you get that respect from um, your peers, I guess, and that's all you can. Yeah, uh, I mean, and also Tom's can, brother. But I was going uh, to yeah. get to that because that moment. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's when I really. I think that's the moment that probably the tears actually got into my eyes when I was watching. Like I could feel the emotion building throughout the film the first time, but. Um, I've seen. Yeah, Richard Madden, um, another Game of Thrones alum, uh, uh, is it plays. Well, this is it, it's it's ironic. You've got the Baratheon and Stark families that are playing playing brothers in in nineteen seventeen. So um, they were once a uh, they were they once had a bond, you know. Yeah, yeah, they were brother in law, weren't they? I guess some. In, uh, fuck I it, know. I haven't seen Game of Thrones in so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, Richard Madden who. Uh, Fame, fame, fame. He looks way different, I think, than Rob Stark. And probably he's grown up a little bit. Yeah, well, you're talking probably, I mean, when was the Red Wedding? That was like six, seven years ago now. <laughs> I so, lived in Oregon. I think we were hardly friends when the Red Wedding happened. So yeah, it was like so, yeah, so you're, you're talking eight years ago. So, yeah, he's done some growing since. Um, but, yeah, he... Um, he does look like him, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I think they do look alike. Yeah. Um, Just yeah. a little bit older. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, that moment um, when he, you know, you can tell what kind of he's a he's a great soldier in himself. Um, Blake's brother, I don't know what his first name was, but um, I think they just call him Lieutenant. Yeah. Or um, that moment where he tells he informs him that his you know brother's passed, and the again, it's um kind of a similar way that. Uh, Schofield deals with the war is how um, Blake, um, senior Blake, deals with it. Is he? You can see that the tears and the emotion building up in him, but he's just closed. You know, he's not letting it overtake him, and he's just having to deal Such with it. Such a moment. fucked up thing. Yeah, but then the, the begrud, the, not begrud, uh, the respect that he shows, but uh, because then um, when Schofield says, "I was with him when he, he wasn't alone," and then he also he he ends it with saying, "He saved my life." I think that was really important. That's the, it, yep. yeah, because and then he holds out the hand and shakes his hand and says, "You know, I'm glad you were with him." And he, he kind of lets him know that, um, yeah. And then when he asked asked him for permission to write the mother as well, like you know those kind of things. You know, these days people might not understand, but being able to you know have permission to you know write someone, whether it be in a romantic sense or just have the permission to contact someone and say tell the story, because that's all the only way you could tell stories at this time was through you know either letters or or verbally passing on stories, and it's and it's such a powerful thing to do, to ask that permission to say, I want to write your mother on, you know, I know that you will talk to her too, but I want to tell my side of the story because I want, because you know, fans. It's a dying man's last wish. Yeah, you gotta, you yeah, do that. and like, and and it's going to be quite powerful coming from someone who the family doesn't know. It's just someone he knew at war, but he he found the impact that Blake had on his life. And I'm getting emotional talking about it now, but it's just like yeah, you know, it's... the impact that he had on his life means that he wants to write their family and tell them how important he was to his life, and that he wouldn't be writing that letter without Blake's Blake saving his life in that moment in the in the tunnels there as well. So it's just um, again the the scene doesn't there's not much not many words said. It's just they're saying what they need to say, and it's just the brilliant acting, brilliant writing, and and obviously the camera work lingering the way it does and. The way it has throughout the film by bringing in, bringing us into the film and making us feel a part of the 
literally a part of the journey, like we're walking with them because of the way it was shot, just um, yeah, it caps it off. And then we then we see at the end um, that he sits down by the tree and opens up that box that we saw briefly at the start of the film and we realise he's got had a lady at home waiting the whole time. So, you know, his journey and his, his personal life we've never really known much about, but we always saw that there was something driving him and it was both his brother brotherhood with his friends, but, you know, he also... Is, he's got he's got the hope of he wants to get back to the so he's gone through all that even though he's trying to preserve his own life because he's got a lady that's told him to come back so it's that that caps it off for me is that he in the end he risked all that um that lady back home that he's probably got a deep love for that and she's he's got one photo of her that says come back on the back of it and um you know even with that in his mind he's still gone through all that to try to save these men and and get a message to the brother as well. So, um, yeah, all those things coming together really rounds out the emotional impact of the story, I think, and um, leaves you with a lot to go home with, to think about. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, I have several responses to what you said, because it made me think about a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why we do this podcast. But one big thing is that, you know, he has that lady. You don't know that at the start. You don't know that he has a lady or anybody or there's a home or anything. That makes Mm -hmm. sense that, like, and uh, Archie ends up saying it. Rock and Roll Archie ends up saying it. Or no, not even that. It's actually after. Um, it's the, um, I don't know the British military names or the American ones for that matter. But um, I want to say like the sub-lieutenant <laughs> that sends him over the line for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I texted, yeah. But he says, oh, it's just a bit of ribbon like with, oh, with a little tin attached to it mm. to send home to your widow. So it like that tied into him giving away that medal because he had a girl back home. It's like mm. oh, like he had already given the his medal away already, so it didn't really matter. But it does just reinforce the fact that he was like, well, you know, I don't want to send this home to my sweetheart yeah. or whatever. Like I don't want I don't want her to remember me by some ribbon and some tin. Mm. I'd rather have, just have a bottle of wine and survive. Yeah. Secondly. Toxic masculinity has existed forever, and I think we've taken great strides in toxic masculinity mm-hmm. because the fact that those two can't just reminisce about his brother and his brother can cry openly, mm-hmm. and he can also just be like, because he cries throughout the film, mm-hmm. Will cries throughout the film, because it fucking sucks, and he's like a teenager. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fucking bullshit. And so it's like, we've come a long way in toxic masculinity, I'm saying. We still have a long way to go, but I think we've come a long way. I think, like, that that struck me, though, is that, like, man, dude, like, just cry, dude. Yeah. Your brother died. Like, your brother died, and this guy is telling you how good of a man he was. He saved his life, and here's all of his shit, and he's asking to write home. It's like, just cry. It's yeah. fine. That might be part but of it. And you might, couldn't do that shit. Well, and it might be, and it's partly, and it still would happen today, is like if he's he's literally in the middle of his job too, if he breaks down and cries, it might cause the death of more men. So he's got a responsibility He's got a responsibility to to take it in. And I'm sure he'll have his moment later on because um, you, you saw it, um, and it was great, again, save a private rhyme, but you see moments where Tom Hanks's um, character, um, is it Miller? Um, yeah. Okay. I haven't seen it. Cap- Again, I don't go back to these war movies yeah. very much. Captain Miller, I, he, I you really know, don't. you see moments where he he gets a moment alone 
away from his men and then he breaks down and cries and it's a really powerful moment in that film so you know and that was you know that's a 23 year old film now so that's a that was a breakthrough in that kind of that's storytelling. And, pl- and platoon was as well because platoon told the dark side of you know was one you know the 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 post-Vietnam War movies that started telling the stories about war that weren't very nice was pr- kind of the first time we'd seen that, and then, and you know, and and w- what nineteen seventeen does well, it doesn't doesn't do anything politically. It just tells the story as it is, and it gives you and and you know, you and I come out of it saying this war shit is fut- is just um, destructive and futile and doesn't ultimately achieve much in the sense of what we're. You know, I mean, you know, the fight against um, fascism and Nazis and stuff like that is, you know, but we shouldn't have to get there because of what we do beforehand is what leads to it sometimes. But, yeah, the, what 1917 does, is it doesn't go politically any one way or the other. It just tells the story as it is and lets uh, let us work out what we want for ourselves. And, and, you know, you can generally, if you if you watch the film as a sane person, you say, yeah, this, this shit's fucked up. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it hit me harder than, yeah. like, all of the, like, I'm, like, obviously, you know, we're pretty like-minded on most things, but, you know, the Vietnam War and seeing all the films about that and, like, knowing Vietnam was fucked, I knew that from, like, before I was 10 years old, probably, that mm-hmm. Vietnam, the Vietnam War was, like, we fought it, and I have liberal parents, but, like, we fought it in, not in earnest, and, like, it was just fucked up, we are sending, you know kids to die over it and uh and i think a lot of the films about the vietnam war reflect that and over in america like that's those are the first war movies you see usually other than saving private ryan now but saving private ryan came out when i was like probably 10 but i didn't see it until i was like 16 i don't think because i i i was in the other room of my parents or my parent and my grandparents watching it together and my mom like that first scene my mom and grandma just like yelling like Jesus Christ and what the fuck and stuff. Well, probably not what the fuck, but just stuff like that. And I was like, I don't really want to watch that, (laughs) but that's what, yeah. Again, going back to your point is that what this film did so well is it, it does. Yeah. It presents you exactly like how war is all those Vietnam films push you in the direction that war is fucked up. Mm Mm-hmm. This film just drops you in it, like we've talked about, and just shows you what it is. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan glorifies it a little bit. This film doesn't do that, I don't think. This yeah, film, I, I won't say that Saving Private Ryan glorifies it, but it just, it. It's just nobody's given speeches like that, in my opinion, like in war. Yeah, I I think those conversations they they're Hollywood, but they I think Saving Private Ryan is a fairly close representation of um and it's just because because it is a character film too so they do a bit more of that they don't yeah um they do yeah there's speeches and stuff like that but i do think it's um i just yeah i just remember reading some stories about veterans that saw that film and just were blown away by it because they were the only that was the first time they said they'd seen something that was pretty much exactly what they experienced so yeah um but yeah, I think they all have their different places, and I think the nineteen seventeen is probably the most. It's like, like I said, it does. There's not much of war directly involving the the characters. It's just it is. It's such a unique film. Um, right, but that's the sh- that's the shitty part of war is that every single fucking part of it sucks. Yeah, every part of it. Trying to walk through like this mud and bullshit, or trying to drive through it, trying to like relate to one other person in it mm-hmm. like you see will 
throughout it, try to like bounce from platoon to platoon or whatever they're called. And everyone just looks him up and down like, who the fuck are you? It's like, we're on the same side. Like, why aren't you like, we should be friendly. It's like, oh, no, every, this is a hardened. There's no friendship here. And I think that's what makes his, him and Blake's relationship so important. Yeah. It's like they have that friendship and he dies and that fucks him up. And I think that turns on like the war switch in his head. And that's why he was able to succeed, which is which brings me to my question is like, do you think they succeed if Will or not will uh tom survives or blake what a tom blake um do you think the two of them survive because that the quote at the start of the film from colin firth which is like an old film like i can pull it up here in a second um i have it pulled up but uh it's like it's better to go alone and it's just the two of them but i, th- yeah. I think that's a like almost a premonition of the quote or however you yeah, no, it's an interesting. Think Mendez did that on purpose. It's an interesting question you raise, and it is, yeah, because if he, if they were trying to look out for each other the whole time, does that ultimately lead to their demise? Because they're, you know, you're always waiting for one person to catch up. I guess in that sense, um, yeah, maybe not. Um, I can't, you know, you can never say definitively because definitively it's sliding doors. But I, I do think that Schofield being on his own, because especially running through that city that. Which I want to. I can't wait to get into that after the break because that was just such a great one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, but, um, I mean, just yeah. him being blown away by the fire, and we'll get there. But yeah. like, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. But the quote is down to Guyana or up to the throne. He travels the fastest who travels alone. Mm. Is what Colin first says to him right away. So he, that's kind of telling the audience, like, hey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a little nugget, I guess. It's a little Easter egg, I think that hey, maybe both these guys aren't going to survive the whole thing. Yeah, and I guess we probably, subconsciously, we always we go into a film, like a war film, and, and expect characters to die, so, um, but yeah. It I only just realized that while talking with you. It's like, <laughs> oh, right, because I remember that quote, because I was thinking about doing it as a closer, but mm. there's no way I was going to be able to remember it, so. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I honestly. Yeah, I think it's like, it tells you what's going to happen, kind of, and I think. That's yeah, all. I think Mendez did that on purpose. Yeah, I think you might be correct that um, yeah, this journey probably uh, was never going to be a success if both of them possibly. And there's every chance that they do scrape through somehow. But yeah, I think Schofield's journey was, um, especially through some of those tough situations. I think they would have got split up at least anyway. So um, just, You're just like, arguing like, with another guy, which they do throughout the film. Yeah, like not or not throughout, but like throughout their scenes together is like they're kind of like. One saying, oh, no, we have to go, and the other one saying, like, you know, whatever they're saying. They're not always on the same page. Yeah. When it's one person, that person is on the page, and the page is turning, and there you go. Yeah. (laughs) If it's two people, then you're, you know, you're wavering. That's how you die in war. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how they die. That's kind of how Tom died in the first place, is that he wanted to save them. And Will wanted to kill him. Yeah. And Will turned his back for a second, and then Tom dies. That's see, that's that's where it gets. Yeah. All shuffled up. Yeah. It's like these two guys, which we talked about, how they both have the same common goal, but they're so different. It's like, you know, maybe only one was supposed to survive because he just was able to tap into the mindset of what it takes to survive war. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. It's fu- and, and I think it boils down to the fact that war's fucked up and um, there's no real winners. Shouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, there's no real winners in it anyway. So, um, 
I think about time to take a break. So, um, and then we can get into some of the other stuff afterwards. With because there's plenty of um, the how this film was made was um, a feat in itself. So, yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to enlighten me, which I'm excited. Yeah. About. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a moment. Second half. Two halves. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is a... Two world wars. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, we laugh uh, just to get past our own horrors about it, really. Um, we were just off air like two minutes ago talking about how fucked up war is and how it should never exist. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We joke about it on air for... Yeah. To get through it. But we can still talk about the films that are made about it and the historical context of it because it's obviously stuff that's happened and there's a lot of reasons that it happened, even if they're not good reasons. But then um, it's just the, the... Yeah. But we're going to talk about the making of a war film because um, this film was... I mean, I guess we can get in... We'll get into the, the, the main part of it first because that's what was the what was promoted about it a lot and um, was an incredible feat what they did... Um, the one take thing um, was incredible because they, it, we've already said as far as the, the story side of the movie, it immerses you in the film because you, you really start, and I think that's where the emotional impact comes from, uh, throughout the film because you do just feel so much a part of the journey rather than an observer of it. Um, but the technical feat of doing that was incredible. And I don't know if you've watched any behind the scenes of this or... 
I have not. I leave that to you. Yeah. <laughs> You're I'm, the brains. I'm the muscle. Yeah. I, I remember <laughs> I, I watched it at the time. Like I think I got home from the cinema that night and jumped on YouTube straight away and found because there's a, a bunch of official making of um, interviews with like um, with Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay and and uh, Sam Mendes and Co. Talk, and Roger Deakins obviously uh, talking about this process. Um, yeah, like the writing of the film had to be done so meticulously. Uh, it's really so Sam obviously. Mendes, yeah. Sam Mendes um, uh, got uh, got the services of Christy Wilson Cairns, who's a young young screenwriter, I think, who's had had a screenplay on the blacklist, and um, I think she worked with Penny Dreadful, but she hadn't done this was a uh. this was a feature film debut as far as writing goes, and basically I think Sam Mendes had come and come into contact with her through a TV writing and stuff like that, and respected her work. And rang her and said, "Oh, I want to do this film. Like, are you keen?" And she, she was, and she, uh, she's on. A, there's a lot of podcasts that came out last year in the awards season where she was interviewed a lot. And she's a real. She's from Scotland, and um, she's got a real affable, quirky, good sense of humor about things. You know, it's that kind of Scottish sense of humor. She's really fun to listen to. So I highly recommend uh, any interviews with Christy Wilson Cairns about the 1917 process. Are really fun to listen to. But she basically said that. Um, he rang her and said, oh, this is my idea. This is what I want to do. Are you interested? And she was like, fucking Sam Mendes rings you for a screenplay. that You say yes. And then she said, he ended the phone call and said, oh, by the way, we're going to do this in one take. Uh, it's going to be a one-shot one shot style. <laughs> and she, and yeah, she, not one take, one uh, shot. Yeah, yeah, like that's, that's the style of the film it's going to be. And then hung up and she just went, she just says she remembers going, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that, but she's like, well, he's, you know, this is, especially as a young screenwriter, she was like, you got to do it. And um, so the writing process was had to, because he said, and but that the, the writing of it somewhat is part of it, but then the filming of it, most films you make, you do different takes, you do have different scenes, you do it all, and then you sometimes you can go, okay, that scene doesn't really fit, we can take that out. When you're making a film look like it was one shot, you can't edit to take a scene out and pop one in. You can't. You need to choreograph it like it's a stage play and have everything come together. And basically what they had to do was, um, like the two actors said, that when they first started, all they, they went out to just an empty field and with sticks and ropes and stuff like that and basically had to talk through the script and then they'd measure how long it took them to get there because you had to know how long it took to get from A to B while you're talking through that line of script and then build the trench or the or the field that they're walking across for the, the set, the exact length of it, because you can't have the camera get to the end and have them finish talking and then them still have 10 metres, 20 metres, 50 metres to get to actually where they're meant to be at that point. So the choreography of the filming of it to then get to the point of cinematography and all those things of how they achieve the actual filming of it were like, the amount of work that went into it, it was weeks and weeks and weeks of just choreographing it and then you had to build the sets and and, and dig your cr- dig your trenches. Cause this incredibly detailed all... sets yeah. that like that feel like you're there. I, they never seem like a set to me. Yeah. Of course, I, I always suspend disbelief in these films. Like I suspend disbelief with every film. I think yeah. that's what a good moviegoer should be, whether you're a critic or a fan or whatever. I think you should suspend disbelief going into it and just enjoy it. Yeah, like I, I don't think you need a nitpick on like a set is this detailed. Like I, <sighs> yeah, um, <laughs> I hate it. Um, but I just, I we had a buddy back in Oregon that was like, you know, one of my favorite films, Gangs of New York. He's just like everything looked like a set to me, and it's like, yeah, it's a set, but they built 
like the entire Bowery yeah. of wherever in New York City it was set to be. They built George Lucas walked on the set and said to Scorsese, he's like, you know, we have CGI now or, we, you know, we have green screens now. And it's like, I would rather like, oh, that of all movies, Gangs of New York looks like a set to you. It doesn't look like a set at all. I've never thought in my that. opinion. Yeah. I suspend disbelief. That opening scene of Gangs of New York is fucking unreal and i am right in there believing that's like you know the five yeah five points away right it, yeah it, yeah they make a fit yeah. oh man we gotta do that at some point down <laughs> that'll be another important one like where we have to like set it aside that where we do it on an important date yeah because that's whatever we're talking about it that film is kind of about war but uh, yeah different kind the civil war um yeah, so we'll get into that later. <laughs> Stay um, tuned for episode 200 of Pints and Popcorn, and we'll get to Gangs in New York. Yeah. Um, God, I love that film. But yeah, I mean, when you watch the behind the scenes, they they have like the over camera shots of the, and so it's basically a trench, and then on the side, you see all your, your filming equipment. But, you know, that's all you need. It's, that's why cinematographers have the job they do, and <laughs> direct, you know, they make sure you can't see all that shit. It's, it's, that's what film is, suspending disbelief. And, but they, yeah, the sets were, you know, it's, it was all dug in, tre- they big trenches in fields and dug in and, and building these building these intricate sets. And but the, that's what's amazing about it is that they had to build them the exact length of what they choreographed weeks before with um, these actors walking and talking and working at how long they this scene took to then build the trench to be that length um, is unreal. And then the other thing was like if they are in the middle of a scene and in a, on a of a take they had to keep going even if they so when he, that scene where he's running uh at the end he jumps out over i was gonna bring that up when you're talking about that because he right he, run, he, run, he run. loses the camera yeah he, well, he loses it i think he was probably supposed to be like on the track with the camera but well i think i think it was that unless just, that's written in i think if it's that, written in it's perfectly choreographed no i think i think a couple of those people he runs into are accidental but they just they just oh absolutely but yeah. they just the, the camera is just like no i'm gonna stay with like because he he kind of gets off track. that makes it way better it does it's it makes perfect. it it was it, so perfect and i think that's what they that want. scene oh my god unreal it was so good and then um so yeah, i think like, he was supposed to run through that without getting run into but like that honestly, was, that in my honestly, opinion, I think honestly, he was because well, no, I think the camera. I would say that they just said you need to get to this point to this point. And they have a camera on the back of an ATV or something like that, I think. And then um, I, I don't know if whether there was any intricate instructions. As I mean, they obviously Corey got like people were going to be jumping over, and they had certain times that they were meant to go, but they were still going to run into each other. I'm sure. So I, I'm sure there At was some a, point. a little bit of creative, you know like leeway that they just um they ta- they would have taken a few takes possibly of that entire part if they did they that scripted and he ran into two different guys full speed and didn't brace for it at all like yeah. he does like he does that's a, like he should yeah, have been I up for academy award <laughs> i don't think honestly i, I honestly just don't think that's possible i think it's just what they exactly just, they, yeah. you would brace your like you're gonna hit something yeah yeah it was just and the fact that the camera, I think the camera was supposed to have that single one shot on, not one shot, but like that tight shot on him the whole way, but he runs into two people mm. and, and it's and far away by the end of it. And it makes it way better than having like yeah. him run through, like, cause that's too much like a, like one of the classic horror or horror, 
We've been doing <laughs> we've been doing Halloween movies too much lately. Yeah, war is uh, one problem. of the classic war movies where it's like, oh yeah, this guy just runs straight down this path like without running into anybody. Yeah. Again, this it's back in the realism of this film that sucks you in. It's like every second that he runs into somebody, you die a little bit with him because people are dying because he can't get that message. To yeah, them. Like, and I like that the he kind of he like you said he loses. He gets a bit distant from the camera after those couple of crashes, but then towards the end of it, then he catches up to it again. Gets closer. Yeah, and yeah. It's just, it's well, just, that's where the shot was supposed to end. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> an incredible, incredible. Just it just ca- like the way they captured it um, on film was just so well he done. He dives yeah. down, like jumping down. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's a lot of credit goes to you know Roger Deakins has been around for years and decades. Of um, he won the he won the Academy Award for this one uh, for cinematography and. And he only won his first one a couple of years ago for uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which was long overdue. Because um, he's he's done all the Co- he's a Cohen brother. He does all of their films, and um, he did uh, he did Skyfall for Mendez as well. Which I think Skyfall is my favorite Bond film, and I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Mendez. Oh, that's great. Mendez and Deacons took such a beloved character and made a film so u- unique, um, even for the even for the that franchise. So uh, a great partnership there, certainly, and uh, Deacons. Um, is and he and he works with his wife as well, so they have a great they have a great team um, there and um, just a, he was the right person because I think I think there'd be a lot of cinematographers out there that you might call off and say Mendes might go oh this is what I'm looking to do and they might go no, you're nuts dude but Deacons has got the experience and the and the confidence in his in what you and what you can do and what and the problems that you can figure out when it comes to c- comes to making films if you if you haven't done something before then you find out a way to do it. Um, and did with, with you do Casino Royale as well? No, no. Who did? All right, whatever. We'll talk off Casino Royale. This. I can't even tell you who directed it, but um, because Mendez only did Skyfall and um, then he did Spectre as well, which is it's rare for a, a director to come back and do two in a row. But I just don't know. Remember which Bond it is that starts with like this this chase through an African city and a shot that was Casino Royale. That was really well done too. It, but I don't, I don't yeah. Know, yeah. Okay. I was just wondering if he did that because like it was shot so perfectly along with this film. Yeah. Um, that I could see that, but I don't pay as much attention to this stuff as you do. I just wait for you to tell me. And I'm like, Oh yeah. I like that guy. Cause he does a good job. <laughs> but Skyfall is great as well. Yeah. Obviously. Um, beyond the, beyond, I mean, beyond the one shot thing, one of my favorite parts from the, um, and I told you in in the first half that one of my favorite scenes was the um the, the when he wakes up in that city and it's there's flares going off and there's the the really orchestral music which the the soundtrack for this the score for this film is unreal too it just it's so low key at many times and just builds this nice crescendo at the moments where the like when he's running it off. also just stops abruptly yeah. too which I think really impactful yeah there's like this this real heavy tone to when Colin uh, Colin Firth's character is telling them what the, when he says, oh, these are the aerials we've got, and there's just this foreboding tone to the score. It's really low-key at that moment, but you kind of get the importance from it. And then when he walks out of that building after he's been knocked out and there's like the flares going off and you see the shadows moving across the city, there's this haunting, powerful score that happens at the the time. It's just, just brilliant. It's just a great great soundtrack and it's not like it um again like a lot of things in this film it doesn't it, nothing is shoved down your throat it's just it's just it all comes together so well and uh, and and adds the emotional impact i think a little bit to the music does and 
especially in that scene, I think the music really hit me when he's charging over and that scene we just talked about when he's running through no man's land trying to get that message those last you know hundred yards or whatever it is that he's going. Um, the music there really just hammers home how important it is and and, uh, and that's what music's meant to do in a film like this that the scores in films like this are meant to have that impact and um, it does. So, yeah, I think it was I, Thomas Newman, I think the name of the guy that did the score is. I want to give him his due because, um, yeah, Thomas Newman. I can't, don't know what, actually what other films he's done, but um, certainly was fantastic in this one. So, I think you touched on it a little bit, but it's when he walks into that city. I Again, I'm not going to butcher the pronunciation of it uh, um, in France. That's on fire. That's definitely the town that him... And Blake were supposed to get to and then go, you know, whatever direction they were supposed to go to. I'm assuming south. I can't remember off the top of my head. But the score when he sees that entire city mm. that he was supposed to go to, it was supposed to be a city <laughs> that he went to. Now it's just, um, and, it's, and the music swells when he's just standing there looking at this the town square with the beautiful fountain. And it's just like a monument to what war destroys it destroys the sanctity of life and that's i think mendez did that perfectly is and with the music as well like mm-hmm. we're talking about it's just him walking into the city that no one the entire film knew was destroyed they just said go to this city maybe they did know it was destroyed but they didn't say it's going to be like on fire it's going to be destroyed They're, they said like go to the city and you should be you know take yeah, a just, yeah. left yeah. But he shows up and it's just all on fire and yeah, there's a fountain. And then he has that one standoff scene with that soldier and it's like you don't know what side either person is on. Mm. It's yeah, it's just that is the personification of war to me. It's just a guy versus a guy and you can't tell if they're on your side or not, so you start running at them. Yeah, and yeah, it's just. Yeah, just really powerful. I, again, I think it did a lot subtly that a lot of war movies do over the top. I think it did exactly what it needed to do subtly. Yeah. And I think that makes it such a great war movie compared to some of the other ones we've talked about. Yeah. Um, the thing that I wanted to talk about that was really impressive again about how film is made... Um, the scene where he walks out at night and the, the flares are going over and you get those really haunted, yeah. the shadows, move, like the, the light comes through the buildings and the shadows shadows like move and it looks like, and Roger Deakins talks about the movie, he's like, I want it, I want it to make it look like the ground is moving, that's how much the flares are changing. And then he, he, he had this idea for what they were wanting to do with that and what they actually did was build a full-scale miniature of the city and then he had like, I'm doing, he had like wires over the city and then was, um, dragging a light over the wires to mim- mimic a flare and was using this scale miniature with this light over it with a wire to work out how the flares would go through the shadow. So they basically choreographed this thing with a miniature to work out exactly how the flares would look and how the shadows would look so then they could recreate that on a grander scale. Like, those are the things that you just think about when you watch a film like this. It's like, oh, they just built this set and lit up flares and watched how the shadows went through. No, they planned that. They knew exactly. They wanted to know. They had an idea of how they wanted the shadows to look because they wanted to make it. That's and that's why films like this are so much better than some you know films that 
you know, lesser films that don't put as much time and effort into getting these things right. This is why these films last and make such a powerful impact. Both, you know, uh, we've talked about the emotional impact of the film, but even just the reason you get an emotional impact from a film like this is because of the realism of the things in the background. And that, that, that scene is just a microcosm of how well done every aspect of this film was done. Like we were talking about the bodies and the stench and the feel of the film earlier. That was such a hauntingly beautiful moment of what war does to buildings and society is like the destruction and the shadow, like because the destruction and shadows and all that of that city at night was, it was beautiful, but it was disgusting and how destroyed the city was. And it's just such a, a technical feat. Of and then people are living in basements yeah, and shit yeah. with, the, with babies who aren't theirs. Like yeah. that's what war does. Like, you know, that going back to that, that we talked about in the first half, is just like that lady just lived in that town and yeah. then it just got, Smashed by both sides. It didn't care if they were French, British, German, Austrian, whatever. Like it just got smashed, and now she's just trying to survive in a basement. Mm -hmm. So that scene is amazing. I I mean, there's also when the new flare comes up. I don't know if it's called a flare. I don't know what it's called. Do they call those flares? I think I'm not exactly sure if it flares or some kind of explosive that was going. But the flare hits, and he like dives on the ground when the flare like illuminates the city again and he mm. blends perfectly into the dirt at the time and then mm. you're just like oh reminded like oh yeah of course like that's why they wear that is so <laughs> they can lay on the ground and you can't see him it's just like those little details like he seemed completely camouflaged it, it is an amazing scene i think that's um yeah that whole scene i mean the whole movie is basically a scene but yeah. uh that scene in the town is very um it has all it has every aspect of a film you're looking for it has heart it has um tension it has uh, i guess no humor in it but uh yeah. yeah a little bit of humor i mean the humor that he actually has milk for the baby yeah i, I mean pretty just funny. some of the the comment that blake blake had his little humorous lines at um at times and oh yeah i just met in that scene yeah, that scene oh, yeah. Where he sorry yeah, down. yeah no you're right um there's no humor there's a there's a there's a beauty there's a beauty in it maybe i guess the guy's puking like, in the street is <laughs> yeah. kind of funny <laughs> I, yeah um yeah because we're, we're that's the one thing we can all empathize with is a guy just having a little bit too much to drink um well and he has a like a young a young i don't again i don't know young, what they're called oh, just, armies like a young like and that kid looks like he's 16. Again, going back to like before when we were talking about the English, that German kid that they got, he does not look 18. Yeah, he tries he looks like a kid. He tries to give him a chance too, which is what sucks is that you, you, you there's these human moments where they try to give each other a chance, but because of the... It's like, hey, I don't have to kill you. Yeah. Like, I don't right. have to kill you right now. But, but I fucking will. Yeah. And the thing is, he was calling for a drunk already. He's 16, probably doesn't, whatever. We're getting into not what we need to yeah. talk about, but... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but hey, that shit happens in war. That's what happens when you send kids who aren't prepared for adult shit to deal with stuff beyond adult shit. Yeah, so. yeah, and it's not something anyone should have to deal with at any age, really. So ever, no. Yeah, um, the uh, ad, it was yeah, filmed beautifully the entire thing, and I think like last night the one thing that really lasted with me was that last shot when um after he's left um after Schofield has said his piece and had the bit with. Blake's brother as he the camera pans towards him walking towards that tree and it's this one moment of 
and it, and it kind of mirrors the start of the film where you, you're at the start of the film kind of starts over a field of kind of wild flowers and then pans comes comes back to them in front of the tree and it ends with him in this field of beautiful wildflowers leaning against a tree with the sunlight cascading across his face and and there's no sh- no sign of war anywhere and it's kind of like this good bookend to a film that everything in between was disgusting war horrible death you know burn down buildings all that stuff but the the bookends of the film are the beauty that exists when you're not in that stuff and i think and it just yeah a really great feat from deacons to kind of take and and mendez and everyone involved was that they they all you had just these incredibly confident like mendez as a director has obviously made some incredibly incredible films over the years um, and has has a distinct style, and you know, like I said, he brought his style to um, the James Bond franchise in a way I don't think many any director really has, um, and he brought it to this film as well. And and Deacon's his confidence in, in his craft. It's just like you're not gonna if you there's not too many other people that could have made a film like this than that kind of team, and um, I, and it's just so unique in the in the you know, historical record of war films, I think this is going to be one of those ones that people can go to and and look at as a unique film in, you know, because war films often can kind of bleed into each other as far as, you know, they're kind of, you know, what they are, um, even though there's plenty of great ones out there that tell stories that about war that need to be told as an educational thing to people to understand why war is so disgusting in many ways. But this film does it in such a unique way, um, and there's no other team that could have done it, I don't think, with how how they did it and the and the vision they had. Like for for someone to say I'm going to make a one take style war film is uh, not many people. <laughs> Who would it? I can't even ever think about. Like I love. I remember that True Detective season one, that six seven minute take in that that uh, that town with Matthew uh, Matthew yeah. McConaughey's character. Like we people rave. The best it. television scene of all time, yeah. maybe. By yeah, the way, it's unreal. If we are shot at least from um yeah, at least from a cinema cinematograph I can't even say that word. <laughs> the cinematography on it was unparalleled in modern television. Yeah. Or vintage television too. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, and just the fact I think that they just bought completely into the idea of like being in the war and saying like you know, that's something that stood out to me right away is that, like, these two soldiers are little, I say little kids, they're basically kids. And they're and Colin Firth is telling them, all right, here's the instructions and here's where you have to go. And they just immediately suck that up and, like, understand where to go. Like, that's mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Like, it's crazy that, like, this shit happened. It's like, oh, they just know where to go. Yeah, and I mean, because they couldn't communicate because the telephone wires are chopped, and it's just like okay, you just have to know where to go, and you can do that. Like, it's just, and then them having to do the research of saying like, oh, you want to go to this town and go like the directors like Mendez, like knowing that they needed to get every bit of this right so that it made sense. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean that's that's what war films are missing. You know, I think Dunkirk maybe had a little bit of it of like realism, modern realism of the saying like because Dunkirk was such a specific event, but this they were so specific about you know where people were going and what directions they had to go and yeah, I think just doing the research helps a lot. Yeah, 
And um, they kind of... I think a lot of people don't appreciate that either. And yeah. I think a lot of people aren't like like looking at that for it to make sense, but it does. It didn't make sense. Like yeah, where he was trying to go. And Mendez, um, it, it says at the end of the film, it was dedicated to his um grandfather, right. Albert Hubert Mendez, I think. Um, and he was a he was a messenger. That was his job was as a messenger in um in the trenches of World War One. So is a lot of the story that and that's what you know and it's great that and it wasn't like it was based on any particular event that he was involved in it's just that mendez took these stories that he grew up with and and about his uh, grandfather in this job and was able to extrapolate this incredible incredibly as we said at the start of the film and an incredible incredibly simple story in the essence of it but um one that was with the writing process between him and um wilson cairns they added just such depth of emotion and, and character to the to the film and uh, we're able to do something pretty special with it which is um a feat in itself to take this idea and, and build on it like they did so mendez ha- mendez hasn't written too much i think um he said in the the making of bit that he was just he was reading scripts for a while and couldn't find much so one of his uh produce the producers or partners in film the film world said why don't you write your own movie he's like well i don't write much but okay i'll see, see if i can think of something and out of that came this little nugget of an idea from his grandfather's stories and then he got a an offsider a young and a young screenwriter that uh, hadn't done much before but he saw it he, he was impressed with um, some of the things she'd done and trusted her vision for it too which is and she and she did the research as well she traveled and went to um battlefields and memorial sites in france to do you know that's they did their work yeah. They did their work. So yeah, you got to respect the craft, you know. People don't just, you know. I mean, writing films is. But um, nobody's gonna like eighty percent of the audience isn't respecting that. No, I guarantee it. It's just that's and that's what that's what it is. A lot of people just watch movies and forget about them. That's fine too. But you know, with a film that's had the reach of the. I did with that with a few of the horror films you told me to watch. I think, but. Uh... Heathen. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. This film, this film did so much, uh, and that's why. That's why a simple idea like this can be can be so powerful. Is like when you do the research and you you infuse so much character and emotion into into scenes that otherwise would just be somewhat empty. Um, you know, you can you can make you can make a powerful film out of anything if you if you put the work into it, which is what this kind of this film really did. I think um, an in, incredible job. So yeah, indeed. I like sometimes you just say so, and I can't add to it because I'm just like thinking about it, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, they did their work. I again, I was just blown away by this film, and I think the acting performances really sold it as well. Um, I think they got the most out of the. Again, I didn't realize that was Jeffrey Baratheon or whatever. Um, Tommen. <laughs> Tommen. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize it, but he did great mm-hmm. in this. And then the main actor in it, I thought, was what sold the movie because there's hardly any lines in it. Like we've kind of talked about, there's hardly any lines to talk about in this film. It's him showing the emotion of just trying to survive this awful war, which is the first time the world has ever seen a, a war like this. No, like, nobody knows what to expect out of a war like this. And it's just these kids trying to figure it out and he's just trying to survive it and get his mission done. And and he doesn't even have lines to really bounce off people. He just has his emotions to show. And I think he just does an amazing job of how many times, how he has to show that 
oh, I just survived, like, when I shouldn't have survived because my mate pulled me out of, you know, some wreckage. I have to, I've been shot at. I've been almost drowned in the river. I was, you know, it's just, it's never ending for him. And he doesn't have lines to portray how scared and kind of um, just upset he is as a person, but he still murders the role. And I think he should have got recognized more. I don't think he was nominated for it because I don't think he was considered a leading or a um, supporting actor in it. Yeah. But uh, I, I thought he did deserve to be nominated for it because I think that's what really sold the movies because you care about this kid and you can see the anguish in his face time after time of just like being, you know, he, he has survivor's guilt beyond just like his, one of his friends dying and then just obviously just surviving the war and seeing everybody around him who has a blown off arm, and who has a blown off leg when he, when he's looking for Blake's brother. I think it's just the kid did a great job. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's, um, it was a pretty good year for the Oscars, I guess. And so we've talked about that when we did, the, Oh yeah. When we did the, um, both that we've done Jojo Rabbit and um, Once Upon a Time as two films that are in this. Oh, I was going to say that it, the lighting of this film is the opposite of Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like gray throughout most of it and like rainy sometimes, mm-hmm. but then at the end, like there's, there's this tree in the past. And Jojo gets brighter at the end as well, but just kind of the opposite um, of what the filmmakers were trying to intend. They did that, and I thought that was cool. Yeah. But like, yeah. Yeah, again, another part of the filmmaking process. It's um, just, you know, the, all those technical aspects of lighting and coloring that go into it that that um, subconsciously affect how your emotional Im- impact is taken. So, yeah, it's very cool. Um, tomatoes. I'm kind of interested to see where we go with this one. Um, it's got an 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb, which is pretty good. It's got 91% of Google users like it, which is um, pretty good. 89% on Rotten, okay. Rotten Tomatoes. I hadn't looked at it today. Usually I don't before you break out the tomatoes. <laughs> break out the tomatoes. I would give it a 94 because I think it is the best war film I've seen. Mm. Maybe 95. Yeah. Maybe 95. I think it's... I was sitting at a 94 myself, so I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 So better than we usually yeah, go... Yeah, usually... Or I at least usually go worse, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I was actually quite surprised when I looked up and saw it. I was like surprised. I was surprised. But I, some people, again, like like we've talked about, I think some people didn't quite get or weren't expecting the kind of film it was exactly. Like it was a lot. Dude, fuck those people. They voted <laughs> Trump and they fucking still think that he has a chance to win. Fuck them. If you don't understand cinema, why are you going online to rate films? Yeah. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah. This is Ron, the first Ron, time Ron, I've been Ron. really upset about it. It's uh, probably because I think it's better than they, they yeah. said it was. The Rotten Tomatoes is an aggregator too, so it just is what it is. There's critics involved, and it's just like, what are, what are you mad about? Oh, I saw a jump cut. I saw when they were jump cutting. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's a fucking film. You fucking twat. Like, yeah. God, get the fuck out of here. Because I saw that when it came out too. And that was even before I saw it. It's like, oh, well, I was able to see where they cut it. 
It's like, oh, cool! I went to cinema and suspended disbelief for two hours, and, the cut, and just got and the lost in the story. Like and it was amazing. Cuts. They just where they cut it. It's like it's not that. Yeah, bad. it's not a bad cut. It's not like um, Bohemian Rhapsody where they cut like two hundred and fifty times in a three-minute scene. It's like it's not that. I have not but... seen Bohemian Rhapsody. I don't think I will. Neither have I, but I've seen the oh the live it is on YouTube on YouTube of them showing how much they smash cut one scene into it and it's like all right and that film was um i believe nominated for cinematography so but they whatever i'll try to find that youtube video and send it to you tonight it's oh it makes me dizzy it's gonna make my it's bad (laughs) yeah Yeah. rami malik won for that film as well and that's a whole different story but (laughs) he was okay he's a great actor but yeah actually yeah rami malik's not the issue with that i just don't don't think yeah. I think they just blew it with that film. I just don't like. You need an, if you're going to talk about Queen and Freddie Mercury, you need to make an R-rated film, and you need to show what it was. Mm. Yeah, I guess. I but got, instead, I they got... made like a watered down straight version of it. I have seen like you know twenty to thirty minutes of it here and there, and it's just like, oh, you want to show like when Freddie Mercury was like married to a woman because like American audiences will like that more. It's like fuck that. Like that's not what people who like Queen want to see like freddie mercury is one of the most powerful rock stars of all time like make a movie that reflects that rather than sugarcoating it so an american audience or a western audience can stuff it down their gullet yeah i got nothing to whatever <laughs> we will not be doing that movie until we're old maybe when we're in our 40s we'll be doing that film no 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 <laughs> no <laughs> oh well back to this one i I, yeah. I, I don't have a point but i gotta i i i have watched this movie with pints so um but yeah we'll raise our glasses to um champagne again yeah. biden harris um, 2020 2024 <laughs> <laughs> uh 1917 one of the uh, really powerful emotional great um films depicting the horrors of war that we've seen ever so um really glad to have done this one on armistice day the day that um you know the guns were put down as they should be um and hope that we continue to put more guns down and pick them up in the future so yeah until next week Shay, we'll uh raise our pints pour some i did it again i'll never get it right you did every week <laughs> i gotta write it down somewhere fuck it we'll see you next week Shay. uh yeah cheers <laughs> i hope today would be a good day hope is a beautiful thing